0: The SaaS Universe podcast is brought to you by Efficient Capital Labs. Realize your future revenue today.
1: Efficient Capital Labs, or ECAP Labs, as they're fondly known, a name that has gained significant recognition in recent years. Manisha's journey with Efficient Capital Labs is an intriguing tale of a desire to revolutionize the Indian startup ecosystem. Efficient Capital Labs officially began in early 2022, but its roots can be traced back even further to the visionary mind of his co-founder and CEO, Kostov. When Kostov shared his vision with Manish, it resonated deeply. The synergy between Manish and Kostov laid the foundation for ECAP Labs to blossom into a remarkable venture. To truly understand the birth of ECAP Labs, we must venture back in time to where the seeds of their entrepreneurial venture were planted.
0: Officially, we started at the beginning of 2022, but Kostav Das, who's uh, my co-founder and CEO of the business, he's had this vision for a little longer than that, probably 12, 15 months longer than that. And just for you to get some sort of perspective into where Kostav comes from and his thinking, so he's been a risk professional for pretty much his entire career prior to ECL. And one of the things that Costa had a vision about was, and especially given his experience as an Indian who knows India, understands India, and somebody who's operated in the US, the cost of capital differential between the two geographies. He always felt that, okay, this cost differential is a big problem if you see it from demand side or from the focus, from the side of the entrepreneurs who are operating in India. But it's an opportunity, if you think of it from a supply side, as in if you can do uh, something to kind of solve that problem for people who are operating on, if you like, the India-US corridor, as we call it. Now, that's where the idea of Efficient Capital Labs germinated from. And then Koster essentially sounded me out. We used to know each other through some common network. He sounded me out and he kind of shared what his vision was. And then from my perspective, if I can add something, I've always been a bit of a macro thinker. So with my experience and also looking at it from a macro perspective, as in since year 2008 till the end of 2021, maybe early 2022, the pricing of risk has been just very, very unusual. The interest rates have been so low that pretty much anything that people wanted to build got funded. Things which were fundamentally fundable got funded to crazy levels. And essentially what that meant for me personally is like there's got to be some correction which has to happen there. Something which has to fundamentally change in the way people build businesses. Because what I felt is like the way that people were kind of approaching businesses, particularly with regards to raising equity almost indiscriminately, both in terms of the timing of it, as well as in terms of the quantum of it and even the frequency of it. So I came at it from that perspective and what Kostov shared with me in terms of his vision, the problem that he wanted to solve, I kind of shared his enthusiasm in terms of the opportunity. And then we said, okay, you know what? We are both very excited about this. This is a space that we need to go after. We got equity in the beginning of April 2022. And shortly afterwards, we were actually live in the market. So the first funding that we provided to our client, that happened in the May of 2022.
1: Being an entrepreneur involves staking one's credibility and reputation. At the same time EC Labs was conceived, they were met with skepticism and doubt about the viability of their vision. The prevailing market conditions characterized by low interest rates and high funding made their proposition even more challenging to comprehend. But with a keen understanding of risk management, Manish and his team forged ahead. Today, their early risks have laid foundation for EC Lab's success, proving that calculated risks, both quantitative and qualitative, can lead to remarkable outcomes.
0: Back when we started to talk about it, you know, at that time, there was no funding winter. The interest rates were pretty low. VC funding was still at an all-time high. And a lot of people actually questioned the fundamental thesis. Like, is there a market for, for something like this? Like, why are you going after this? Why are you not doing something else? So in that sense, it does require... A lot of conviction to go after something like this, and of course, you take risk as a business, as in a part of your equity is tied to these fundings. But you also take risk, as in you are risking your personal credibility, your professional sort of reputation, and so on. You know, when you go after an idea, which may not necessarily be as popular as it is now when you started. So yes, certainly it was. It was a risk, and I think all businesses risk in a way. And it's just a question of like how you manage that risk and how sensible you are about that risk in terms of the sort of qualitative risk that you take and the quantitative risk that you take like how well positioned you are to kind of manage that risk within the bounds of your business i think uh, like in my sort of judgment there are two three things which are key to being an entrepreneur one of them is like you should have a good stomach for risk especially if you want to kind of survive across cycles like in a boom cycle you know you may be really lucky like you can ride the entire wave in terms of funding you get a good exit and so on but more generally i think you have to have a good stomach for risk. you have to have a very good self-esteem because especially early on a lot of people that you meet they will be skeptics they will kind of say like why are you doing it you would want to hire people they may not want to work with you you will hear no more often than you will hear yes. So you have to have a good self-esteem and almost like a way that you can detach yourself personally from what you're doing. And, and it's easier said than done because at the end of the day, you know, sometimes as entrepreneurs, we become the idea and the idea becomes us.
1: By choosing a revenue-based model over an equity-based one, EC Labs acknowledges the importance of time and the need for liquidity in today's fast-paced entrepreneurial landscape. While equity-based funding may offer the potential for higher returns in the long run, it often comes with a significant time commitment and a level of uncertainty. EC Labs aims to provide entrepreneurs with an alternative approach that allows them to access the capital they need quickly and efficiently. By focusing on revenue-based financing, they minimize the timeline typically associated with traditional funding routes, enabling entrepreneurs to accelerate their growth and pursue their goals without being tied down by lengthy fundraising processes.
0: Very simply, what we offer is 100% non-dilutive funding for B2B SaaS startups. So I'll just break it down a little bit. So what does 100% non-dilutive mean? It means that when startups take funding from us, they are not going to dilute any part of their ownership in the business. So it's not a conditional thing. It's not like under certain conditions they'll have to dilute. It's not a that largely it is non-dilutive, but there's a small element of dilution through warrants, etc. It's 100% non-dilutive. The second important aspect is that we are a revenue-based financing player, which means that the amount of funding that we give to startups that will be a percentage of their ARR or annual recurring revenue that they are getting, that they are currently generating. And then the third thing, which is really important, which didn't come in that single line description that I provided, but it's really really important. As founders, like one of the things that you do, at least for the first few years of the company, is raise capital. Capital is like lifeblood of a company in the initial stages. It's always lifeblood, but let's say external capital is more pertinent in the initial few years of a company. And if you look at more sort of established slash traditional ways of funding, such as venture capital, etc., they are great for many, many use cases. But one of the things that you need to bear in mind is that venture capital can take a long time, as in the, uh, the amount of time that you have to invest in terms of management mindshare to get funding from VCs, it can be significant. And uh, the cost of it, so one is the time cost of it, the management mindshare cost of it, and then the cost of it in terms of the legal cost, that can also be significant. But what we do, that's a very simple way of funding, which is really optimized for speed and management's mindshare. So our customers don't really have to spend a lot of time in order to apply for funding with us. It's a very, very simple process that we have. So let's say if somebody applies on a Monday, then, you know, in a, uh, assuming that they have provided us everything that is required in terms of the documentation, et cetera, chances are that they'll have offer on Thursday if they sign it on Thursday, then on Friday they'll have funds in their bank account. So it's really, really optimized for speed as well as time efficiency in terms of the time efficiency for the clients that they have to invest in it and that's something really valuable for a lot of early stage businesses because time is the most precious commodity for many founders, for many sort of founding CEOs if I put go use that expression.
1: Venture capital funding becomes necessary during the early stages of a business, when there is no product or revenue. However, as the startup progresses and achieves initial product-market fit, the need for the next round of funding arises. At this point, the CEO faces a choice. The time-consuming process of raising VC funding which involves scouting investors, making presentations, and traveling with the alternative of accessing a funding source, like EC Labs, that offers a simpler and more accessible approach. The decision-making process is not limited to an either-or choice between VC funding and non-dilutive funding. Startups can also consider a hybrid approach, raising a portion of their funding from VC's and the rest from non-dilutive sources. Timing, realistic growth potential, and the right type of capital all play a crucial role in making informed decisions that align with the startup's goals and optimize its chances of success.
0: So let's compare this with venture capital. Okay, So one is like... When do you raise venture capital? So typically, let us say if you are starting a business, if you don't even have a product, forget about revenue, you are just getting people excited, then obviously you have no choice, but to go to either a VC kind of investor or maybe to friends and family, if you are so connected and if you have a sort of network and yeah, an angel or some sort of accelerator where you kind of get things off off the ground, you really don't have much choice there. That's anyway a time-consuming process but that's the sort of uh, given now, like you can't really change much there. Now, what happens for a business? Imagine that you are a SaaS business. Now you are off the ground. You have come to a stage where you have found initial product market fit. Your ARR is somewhere around 250, 300 K, right? At that stage, typically a business would need to look for their next round of funding because essentially what they want to do is to uh, to grow basically they have found the product market fit and then they just want to execute maybe they have also figured out a playbook by that time on which they want to execute in order to grow their revenue so now at that stage you have a choice you could go to a venture capital investor in some cases it might be your existing investor in which case it it could be somewhat easier in terms of raising capital but let's say you need to go out to the market then you have a very clear choice to make do i as a ceo spend time like scouting investors getting them excited about this space making presentations traveling or do i as a ceo focus on my business uh like for this time because funding can be a pretty much full-time job for the duration of funding like 30 days 60 days so it can be a pretty time-consuming process and it does require you to take time away from your daily responsibilities so you have to optimize for time that it takes, you have to optimize for timing, as in when is the right timing, and then you have to think very, very, very clearly in terms of what's the right kind of capital for your business at the stage that you are at.
1: As EC Labs carved its path in the business landscape, it made a strategic decision to focus specifically on SaaS software as a service companies. The SaaS industry has experienced remarkable growth and has become a dominant force in the technology sector. By concentrating their efforts on this niche, Efficient Capital Labs positions itself at the forefront of an expanding market with immense potential.
0: At least for the next 18-24 months, we are very much focused on B2B SaaS. Now, why B2B SaaS. One is that SaaS as a vertical, like it lends itself to a way of growth which other verticals don't lend themselves to. So, SaaS is generally a high gross margin business. SaaS is a business, and you see this very brilliantly executed in India, by the way, in general. Like, it's a business that lends itself very well to a playbook. It's a business, which means like once companies find product market fit, like they generally have a very good idea of what it would take to go from 1 million to 5 million, 5 million to 10 million. I'm not saying it's going to happen for all the companies, but at least the theory is there. The case studies are there that one can refer to. And then the SaaS revenue is recurring, which means like from our perspective, because essentially what we are doing for the customer is we are giving them money today. And creating a recurring obligation for them to repay those funds for the next 12 months, so it makes sense that those recurring, if you like, obligations that they have, they are matching with the recurring revenue that they are generating. So in that sense, SaaS is is a great place. SaaS is also relatively sticky business, which means that it's not like, for example, marketing spend. So for example. You know, when you go into a recessionary environment, like the kind of environment which we see in the U.S. right now, one of the first things that get cut is the spend on marketing, advertisements, sponsorships, etc. cetera. SaaS is not like that. SaaS is generally because you run your, your business on these uh, softwares, right? It could be your software related to compliance. It could be your email software. It could be, I don't know, Zoom, whatever it is. So what could happen during recessionary times is unless you know something is completely superfluous to a business and then sure enough some uh, customers may cut their spending on a particular piece of software at best what may happen is like instead of having i don't know 30 seats maybe a business evaluates like should they go from a seat-based plan to an enterprise plan will that make sense or should they have 30 seats instead of 40 seats, which they might have. But fundamentally, it's a sticky business, which is a good thing from our perspective. And then also we need to operate, like uh, I'm talking about it from our perspective, in a space which is a large space. SaaS is a large space. We need to operate in a space where we can see a foreseeable growth for the next decade or so. And again, SaaS uh, fits that bill as well. So there are many things which are true about B2B SaaS. And in that way, it's somewhat of a unique vertical, which other verticals are not. Having said that, I think as we build capabilities, at some point, we might want to get into recurring revenue businesses who are maybe not exactly B2B SaaS, but in some ways related to that, but that's you know somewhere down the line. As of now, we are very much focused on B2B SaaS.
1: Unlike some industries where a single company may capture the majority of the market share and leave little room for competition, the SaaS landscape allows for multiple successful players to coexist and thrive. In the SaaS world, customers often have diverse needs and preferences and different companies excel in catering to specific niches or solving particular problems. This creates a market environment where customers have choices and can select the SaaS solution that best suits their requirements. Rather than a winner-takes-all scenario, the SaaS industry is characterized by the potential for several companies to achieve success by offering unique value propositions, innovative features, or specialized
0: services. So essentially, some businesses, they operate in winner-takes-all spaces. Common examples that you see, businesses with strong network effects are generally like that. Examples of that if you want to see, for example, in food delivery, like remember how many players used to be there, but now there's Zomato and there's Swiggy. So pretty much like in in a business where you have network effects, you have such things like, you know, winner takes all. But then there are places where you don't have such advantage of scale that somehow make the leading player become bigger and bigger and somebody who's smaller than a certain threshold becomes smaller and smaller and software particularly b2b SaaS space is one such thing and that's the reason i said that and the reason that is important is because i have seen this not so much from an ecl perspective but i do receive fair amount of emails from people in my kind of school who are currently students and you know pitch decks etc like sometimes they just ask for help sometimes they're raising funds and so on and while i do understand like as a founder like you have an optimistic view and maybe what you're representing is even a uh, more optimistic version of what you believe in your heart of hearts uh, in terms of what the market out there is but it's very important to understand the dynamic like will for example if you are building a SaaS solution imagine it is the best solution in the world for a particular vertical even then would everyone would all the companies in the same vertical buy your solution would they not buy somebody else's solution and there could be multiple reasons for that imagine that you are sitting in india building a piece of software how many languages you can build in it why would somebody who's sitting in in a country where they speak different language and they may not be comfortable with an english language interface want your solution it may not even be optimized for that particular market and so on and the other thing to know is like there are many spaces for example sometimes you see like solutions which are aimed at industries which are like super super fragmented Like restaurants, like gyms, etc. In those industries, you have such a long tail of buyers, and each of them is very different. Like the way a restaurant would think in India is probably very different than the way a restaurant in the US would think, and so on. So when you are catering to such verticals, it's very hard for you to be, you know, build a winner takes all business. The other thing, for example, different way to look at it, there are industries with very razor thin margins. In those spaces, also. It's very hard to kind of build a winner-takes-all business because the buyers would always be optimizing for cost. That's why you see like pretty much, uh, like if you look at the example of -of point-of-sale software, like there are so many examples of -of point-of-sales software in each country and so on. And new ones always keep on coming and so on because there are only so many large sort of retail chains that are there. But beyond that, when it comes to the market, it's largely kind of, fragmented and the industry dynamic just don't lend themselves to winner takes all and essentially the 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 sort of derivative of that statement is if the overall size of the opportunity in that market is i don't know a billion dollars but if you know and even if that estimate is true but let's say it ends up having i don't know 50 players in it then on an average each player could be like 20 million maybe the biggest player could be like a hundred billion dollar which means like beyond other than that particular player a lot of people would actually be like you know 20 30 million dollars maybe in some cases 10 million dollar businesses and that is something which is not a bad thing for a business per se because SaaS businesses are generally high gross margin businesses so you can build a very viable very profitable very attractive SaaS business that has a top line of 30 million dollars and maybe the bottom line is 10 million dollars just that it may not necessarily be attractive for, from a VC funding perspective because it may not necessarily give a billion dollar exit. Like That kind of business would be a great business that would be brilliant for any entrepreneur like to show that kind of success. It may not necessarily be a VC fundable business. And if, as a founder, you end up taking too much equity from VCs to build that business, then essentially the exit becomes somewhat of a challenge and it may not help you. Meet
1: your other goals as a founder. Manish is a pragmatic and visionary entrepreneur who possesses a deep understanding of the business landscape. As he shares his insights, it becomes evident that he approaches his ventures with a grounded perspective and a commitment to learning from each year's accomplishments. He focuses on understanding customer pain points and developing the capabilities necessary to address them effectively and seeks to provide comprehensive solutions to his customers, most pressing challenges. Looking forward, Manish envisions his business as an international entity that solves money-related problems for a broad range of customers across various locations.
0: As you build business, you kind of start from a particular area where you feel like there's a demand, you can execute well and you go into other areas from there. So B2B SaaS, for all the reasons that I covered earlier, was a great starting point for us in terms of our vision, what we have and where we could be in in five years from now. Essentially, what we do is each year we build on the success and learnings of the previous year. So what we haven't done is to set a vision, which is just like a goal without actually having sort of view on how we will realize that goal. So in that sense, Kostam and I are both uh, very, very grounded in terms of reality. So the vision that we have is essentially to build each year. And I'll, I'll just explain that, like, what does that mean, right? So for example, today we are operating in this corridor, South Asia, US corridor, right? b2b SaaS companies yeah. from here we operate in in another corridor we we will probably be operating in a in another corridor in terms of another geography if, if i can use a simpler term to explain that in in 12 months from now right and essentially so we grow first the same product in one geography then the same product in multiple geographies that's an ongoing thing in terms of like how this funding works and So from there, like you see, okay, if this is a capability that you have built, you know how to underwrite on the basis of SaaS recurring revenue, like take it to other forms of recurring revenue. So it could be another vertical, but recurring revenue. And from there, you see that, okay, if you have learned, uh, build this capability, now you're operating in multiple geographies, you are operating in multiple products, and you have built these customer these corridors, what what are the other big problems that you could solve for them? So those problems could be like, for instance, money movement across borders is a big problem, payments, etc. So there are many, many problems that you can solve. But essentially, the idea is like to go one step at a time, to learn from customers, to understand where their biggest pain point is, to build the capabilities in order to serve those Uh, pain points and then go and take take an offering to those customers and probably like if I can give you a sort of rough estimate like every one year bring in sort of one significant kind of additional thing if I can uh, say that. So 12 months another geography, another 12 months probably another form of recurring revenue and so on. So yeah, so at the end of it what we would want ECL to be like In 10 years from now is an international business an international business that solves money related problems for a lot of customers who are spread across essentially we want ourselves to be if you like in some shape or form helping businesses be more successful if you like outside their home territory home turf. So in that sense, for example, for SaaS businesses today, what we do is we provide them funding in U.S. dollars. So in in many cases, it is helping them with their go-to-market spend in the U.S., right? When we operate in a different corridor, again, we'll be solving that problem and so on. And I think that's the sort of value add that we provide as an international business that is operating in multiple geographies, that we can help our customers realize those Possibilities connect those dots, which may not be able, which they may not be able to do without, uh, without our help.
1: Manisha's journey as an entrepreneur has been marked by an unwavering commitment to growth. From his humble beginnings in the B2B SaaS sector, he recognized the importance of understanding market dynamics and customer needs. With each passing year, he built upon his successes expanding into new geographies and offering innovative solutions to his growing customer base. As an entrepreneur, Manish believes in the value of connecting the dots for his customers, enabling them to thrive in unfamiliar markets, providing funding and assistance with go-to-market strategies. He strives to empower businesses to achieve success on a global scale with a customer-centric approach and an eye for innovation, Manish remains dedicated to building an internationally recognized business that leaves a lasting impact. That's all for today, folks.
0: Thank you for tuning into the SaaS Universe podcast. And remember, if you're looking for non-dilutive capital to help grow your business, Efficient Capital Labs is here to help. With their unique approach, you can receive up to 60% of your projected revenue as upfront capital, and all within just three days. So don't wait. Head to www.ecaplabs.com to learn more and get started today. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the show.